Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. So nice to be back. Thanks for Scott Wars for filling in for me for a couple days. It was one of those deals. I was just a, a quick trip uh, to see the sunshine. So I was gone, flew out Friday morning. I flew to uh, the, the Gulf Coast of Florida. The, the for, I flew into Fort Myers my, and then came back yesterday afternoon. So everybody in Florida was complaining about how cold it was because um, in the last couple of days it had been, well, in the, the upper 60s and it got down into the 50s at night. <laughs> so we, we land yesterday, 3 o'clock, 3.10 in the afternoon, and it's gloomy and it's snowing. And I had this white knuckle drive up to West Bend to pick up the dog from Sister Pat who, who watches her and stuff. And, and all I'm thinking about is people complaining in Florida about, oh, my gosh, it was so darn cold. Well, that's, uh, that's it. Hey, just a couple quick observations about, about flying. And um, I, I flew on Southwest, and, and up until relatively recently, Southwest had been keeping the middle seats open. They, they've now they're now filling the whole planes, and the, the flights I had there and back were were pretty much full. I mean, maybe they, they announced how many people are on there. So there's like this, there's there's 147 seats. I think on both flights there were over 130 people. So the, the flights were really crowded, and I, I had flown in October. And I noticed that the airports, there wasn't anywhere near as much activity. This time around, it seems to me it's pretty much back to normal. We I landed in Fort Myers Saturday about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I, as I was walking out of the gate, you know, you go... You go past the, the, the it's the TSA checkpoint, so it's like the B gate. So I'm I'm leaving the B gate. So as I'm walking out, I, I'm looking at the lines, and, and I I stopped because I counted this the TSA pre-check line. Now this is eleven o'clock on a Saturday morning. I guess a lot of people travel there. There had to be, I would say, at least a hundred people in the TSA pre-check line, and at least two hundred to two hundred and fifty people. I mean, it was. It was like three years ago, Easter break. I mean, long lines. Now, when I came back yesterday, that was a Tuesday, so not as much. But there were people are traveling, and I don't know whether it's COVID fatigue or I don't know whether it's um, people are getting vaccinated or they think that they're going to be able to get vaccinated or that they've had it. But I I will tell you, at least based on just my, my casual observations going through the airports, a lot of people traveling. Mitchell, I don't think Mitchell is quite back as much, but certainly it's 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 people are coming back. And what that tells me is that there is such a pent up demand for, for travel that once we get further through the pandemic, once more people get vaccinated, once we get closer to herd immunity, all that stuff. My guess is that it's just going to explode. I mean, that my sense from an economic perspective is that people have really been holding in things. And I don't know when that dam is going to break. I mean, if I was in the, the travel business like our friend Rose Gray at Fox World Travel, I, I don't know when that dam is going to break. But given at least what I was just seeing, people traveling now, and I saw kids and older people and stuff, given what I'm seeing, I, my guess is 
once more and more people just decide to turn that switch, you're, you're just going to see an explosion in the travel industry. The other thing that I noticed, and, and I, I don't have an answer to this, because I know a couple weeks ago on the program we, we talked about this. These airlines, the airlines all have policies that say you've got to wear masks on the plane, which, which to me makes sense. But it's one of these things kind of like Tony Evers saying, don't see your relatives on Thanksgiving. It's something that, okay, you understand intellectually why they're doing it, but in the real world, nobody's going to pay attention to this, or at least very few people will. And and so they say you got to wear masks on airplanes. And at most of the airlines, the, the cutoff is the age of two. Anybody over the age of two is supposed to wear a face mask. So on the way back yesterday, again, it, it's a it's pretty full plane, and... In the row in front of me, there's a mom, and she's sitting in the middle seat, and there's her son, a toddler who is two and a half. I, I know this because of the conversation that the flight attendant. And then on the other side, on the aisle, there's a, a girl who's four or five, and dad is sitting on the other, other side of the aisle. So there, there's the three in front of me. Now, you've got a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old who are supposed to wear masks. They won't. I mean, it, it just and it, it's this ongoing thing. The flight attendant, I think there was a lady a couple rows behind me who was complaining these kids aren't wearing masks. And and the and then the flight attendant would come up and say the rules are, you know, ma'am, they've, they've got to wear masks. And then the mom, it wasn't a bad mom. The mom would say to the kids, you've got to wear masks and put them on. Well, it's a two and a half year old and it's a five year old. Now, I'm candidly, I'm less concerned about the mask other than the fact that I'm more concerned that the five-year-old in front of me keeps rocking back in her seat and banging into my, my knees. But but it's this ongoing battle. Then they come over the loudspeaker and they say this a couple times, this is our, you know, the we are, this is our rule. Everybody over the age of two has to wear face masks and stuff. And again, I don't know what the answer to this is um, because I, I understand why they have the rule, but there's the rule and there's the reality. And like I say, these, these aren't bad parents. I mean, they're, they're trying, but it's a two and a half year old and it's a five year old. You can barely get them to sit in their seats, much less keep a face mask on for a two hour and 40 minute flight. It, it's just, it, it's not happening. So I, I don't, I don't know whether the airlines need to make this rule different when it applies to kids. I, I don't know if they need to not let kids fly, if it's that significant. And I'm just saying, and, I, and, and there's no good guys or bad guys here. It's just, it's a two and a half year old. He doesn't want to wear his mask and he's pulling it off all the time. And there's only so much, there's only so much you can do. And there's a five year old and she doesn't want to wear her mask all the time. So, you know, what, what can you do? All right. When we come back, I understand I understand that every talk show host in the country is probably spending a lot of time today talking about the Biden speech and the inauguration, stuff like that. We're we're, going to do that as the course of the show rolls on. But before that, I want to do something that I have been waiting. I have been waiting, oh, I don't know, four or five years to do a, a policy topic. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's kind of already starting. The um, <laughs> Bernie, did you see Bernie Sanders is already becoming a, a, an internet sensation? Um, they're, they're calling it "grumpy old guy chic." He, he shows up at the inauguration and he's he's wearing a parka. With these giant 
mittens, apparently made in, in Vermont, and he's got a manila envelope. It looks like he's on his way to the post office, you know, and he's sitting in this folding chair, kind of socially distanced and things like that, and so they're calling it grumpy old guy chic. Um, I, I say it's cold, and he's just dressing for comfort, but if you want if you want to see the Bernie Sanders thing, I just sent out a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. It's just like, he's, he's, he's you know, I, I get it. I mean, he's, he's just cold. There, there is a point where, you know, you just, my wife is very stylish and she tries to dress me. And sometimes it's kind of like, well, honey, there's only so much you can do. And the bottom line is it, it's cold outside. And yes, I understand this might not be the best look, but I'm sitting outside. It's cold or it's hot outside or whatever. So do you want to see the, the Bernie Sanders has become like an Internet sensation all of a sudden? Okay. I have been waiting for this day for a long time. Let me let me explain. One of the things I have always prided myself on in doing a radio talk show for the last however many years I've done it is I like to discuss policy things. I, I like to talk about issues with you. Now maybe you disagree with me on things, but that, that's that's okay. I'd like to discuss issues. And agree or disagree, I, I like people, if you listen to the show for a couple segments, I, I like people going on and say, I, I don't think he's right, but but I know more about this, this issue than I did before. Maybe you, you leave just a little bit smarter. That, that's always been sort of the, the goal. And, and I'm not saying we don't talk about personalities and things like that, but but I, I like to talk about issues. One of the things that I was, I was really, I've always wore this as a badge of honor. Back in 2013, and there's this, this publication called Talkers Magazine, which is kind of like variety for our industry and 2013 was the first year that i made their list of 100 most influential talk show hosts in the country and and the response to that was there was this liberal publication that came out and they described me as the 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 evil mr rogers And, and the way they explained it is most conservatives on the radio they're ranters they're screamers they're trying to get people angry wagner's not like that and that makes him more dangerous because Wagner talks about these issues, and he explains the principles, and you listen to him, and you find yourself, my God, you find yourself agreeing, and all of a sudden, he sucked you in, and you find yourself agreeing. It's like Mr. Rogers. He draws you in, and all of a sudden, you're you're thinking conservative thoughts. How could that possibly be? And you're thinking, oh, this might be a decent idea. That's why he's the evil Mr. Rogers, and I've always worn that as a badge of honor. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I have this idea that, okay, well, maybe if people just kind of, you know, if you can get past the screaming and the name-calling and stuff like that, if you can just, like, listen to the policy things, maybe you can bring people around. There has been a problem doing that for the last four years because of President Trump. And and here's the bottom line. I, I know there are some people on the left who view Trump supporters as being part of a cult. And, and maybe there's an element of that. But the the same is true as well. There is a cult of Trump haters, just like there is a cult of Trump lovers. And one of the things that I found frustrating over the last couple of years, it's been almost impossible to have a discussion of policy issues, you know, talk about issues, because so many people view them through the prism of, of Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump. So it doesn't matter what he does. I hate it. I'm just, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, because I hate Donald Trump. It could have been a policy that Barack Obama or Bill Clinton would have done, and yet they hate it 
because it's Donald Trump. It, it's the, the, the cult of the Trump haters. Donald Trump could reach into his pocket, give everybody a $100 bill, and the Trump haters would still hate it because he gave me a $100 bill. I've got to go and cash this. Do you know how hard it is to cash a $100 bill? He should have given me 520s. So you had the cult of, of Trump haters who couldn't listen and think about policies because they viewed it through the prism of if it's something that Trump wanted to do, we hate it. On the flip side of this was the, the hardcore Trump loyalists who, who didn't want to talk about policy. There, there were a lot of things that Donald Trump did over the last four years, which if, if, if Barack Obama had done them, or Bill Clinton had done them, people people on the right would have been absolutely outraged by this. Oh, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he's doing that. But because, just like you had the cult of Trump haters, you had the, the cult of Trump lovers as well, who would say, okay, well, I, I, I don't care that this isn't a conservative principle. I don't care that this is something that, you know, Ronald Reagan would have never done or George Bush would have never done. I don't care if this is something that is completely different than the conservative values that people have argued about and espoused for, you know, the last 40 years, it's Donald Trump. He's doing it. It must be wonderful. And I admit, it was an ongoing frustration I would have because we, we, I'd want to talk about issues. And, and maybe it was my failure, but I couldn't get, at least some of you, to, to get away from the, the, the personality. Oh, I hate Donald Trump, so I, I, anything he says, I've got to oppose. Or I love Donald Trump, so anything he does, it has to be good. One of the things that I am hoping is that now that that personality is out of there, now maybe we can get back to the discussion of, of issues. And does does this proposal make sense? Is it good for the country? Is it going to be good long-term for the country? Is it good short-term for the country? I'm hoping that we, we can get away from a little bit of the personality. Now, I understand we're still a divided country, but you know, right or wrong, the, the way people viewed this, it was just been frustrating to me for four or five years because all the issues were viewed through the prism of personality on the left and the right. And I understand the left likes to say, oh, there's just the... Trump followers are a cult. Well, Trump haters are a cult, too. And, you know, I, and I have lots of people on both sides and both those cults that listen. So now maybe we can talk about policy, which so I want to start off today with a policy conversation. And it's a follow up to something. I started doing this at the end of the week last week, just kind of talking about issues. And, yeah, we're going to talk about Trump's departure and all that. But I want to start by one of the proposals with one of the proposals that Joe Biden is coming out with. And at the end of last week, we discussed it. One of the things that he wants to do is he wants to take the minimum wage, federal minimum, he wants to raise the federal minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. We have discussed this, you know, we discussed it at the end of last week. But an interesting sidelight to what he wants to do, in addition to raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, he wants to do away with the tipped minimum wage. Now, the way it works right now in restaurants, right? The minimum wage is $2.13 for tipped workers. Now, you might say $2.13, people can't make a living on that. Well, no, they they can't. But that's because waitresses, waiters, servers don't depend on minimum wage. What they do is they make their money on the tips. And if you're and if you're working, you know, at a decent restaurant um, and you're a good server, almost everybody will tell you 
that you can make a lot more than $15 an hour. That, that, that $2 minimum wage almost, almost never comes into play. You're, you're, you know, if you're working at a busy restaurant or a decent restaurant or, or whatever, and you're getting your hours and you're good, you're making well more than 15 bucks an hour. The problem with doing away with the tipped minimum wage, you raise the server salary to 15 bucks an hour. What that means is, First of all, it means that the restaurant owners, they, they've now got to pay the employees $12.50 more an hour. Let's, let's, you know, so all the servers have to get paid more. That means they have to increase their prices. It also means that most of us understand that servers, people that work in the hospitality industry, they, they depend on tips for their income. And the logical effect of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour for servers is that tips are going to either go away or they're going to go down dramatically. And most people that I know, and I know a lot of people who work in the hospitality industry as servers, most people who are working as servers think this is a stunningly bad idea. And you'd say, hey, well, you're, you're raised, you're going to get a boost. You know, you're, you're going to be guaranteed 15 bucks an hour. And they will tell me, and I've had this conversation over the last several days, they will tell me to a person, we, we think this is a horrible idea because at the end of the day, it's going to cost us money because, first of all, restaurants are going to have to raise prices. To, to cover our added costs. Secondly, people are not going to give us, you know, 15 and 20 percent tips at these places anymore if they know we're getting the revenue. 855-616-1620. That's an Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's start this program off with a policy discussion. Should we get rid of the tipped minimum wage? And if you are in the hospitality industry or you're somebody that patronizes restaurants, it, it would getting rid of the tip minimum wage, would this change how you issue tips? If you're a server, I think this is going to cost you a ton of money. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, one of, one of Joe Biden's initial proposals is to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. We've talked about that. But included in that is his proposal to do away with the tipped minimum wage. For those of you who might just be tuning in, what that means is right now in restaurants, that the minimum wage is like $2.12 or something ridiculous like that for servers. But th- these are people who work primarily for tips. Uh, my point is, it would be disastrous for those folks if you were to do away with the tipped minimum wage and say, okay, restaurants have to pay them 15 bucks an hour. Why? Because I think two things are going to happen. First of all, if the restaurant owners that work on small margins have to come up and raise all the salary, the servers, salaries of the servers to 15 bucks an hour, it's going to put a bunch of, and the, the restaurant industry has been struggling to begin with, it's going to put a bunch of them under. Secondly, from the perspective of servers, I am willing to bet that most servers in most restaurants would much rather work for tips because one of the things that happens is inevitably if you go to 15 bucks an hour what that means is the restaurant owner is going to have to raise prices plus the patrons are going to know hey okay this the server it's not like he or she is working for tips anymore they're they're getting 15 bucks an hour my guess is tips are going to cost of the restaurant are going to go up dramatically and the tips are going to go down dramatically or maybe disappear my guess is most servers most most servers would say no we want to do don't we we don't want to do that on top of that 
one of the things that inspires you to get good service in a restaurant is the fact that you know that there's going to be a gratuity. So, I mean, if you're a server, hey, I've got this table. I want to do a really good job. I want to be pleasant, et cetera, et cetera. I want to do this because what that's going to mean is I'm more likely to get a good tip. And I understand there's some people who don't give good tips. I, I get that. But I would think that most servers... Most people in the hospitality industry think this is a dreadful idea. Okay, let's start with Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. How are we doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? So I spent about 12 years as a Milwaukee bartender at a couple of different places, and one of the things that I think would change dramatically is that people people work really hard for their tips. They, they, they make sure that they know about their wine list. They make sure bartenders know about cocktails and they do all this stuff to make themselves better because the better you are, the more money you make. And it's, and it's an immediate response. Like that money's in your pocket when you walk out at the end of the day. Right. But if you take away that and everybody's making the same money and everybody's on the same plane, I think you're going to see a lot of people not necessarily go the extra mile to learn that knowledge or to be able mm-hmm. to do those things because they don't get anything back for it. I was telling your screener, one of the guys that I knew when he first started out, he was doing a lot of really slow happy hours, and he actually taught himself street magic, card tricks, coin tricks, stuff like that, that he would do behind the bar in front of his customers. And word spread about this, and all of a sudden his happy hours were huge, and they were making more money than ever before. I highly doubt if that, if he didn't have that monetary incentive, that he would have gone to the trouble to teach himself magic. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, and then, I mean, thanks for, I mean, again, you, you go that, that extra margin, but it's also, we know, we know that, you know, it's, that, that, for example, if you're if you're a patron of the restaurant, you understand that essentially your server is working for the, the tips. So I, I think you tend to be more generous. And again, it, let, let's say you got to go up to fifteen dollars an hour. You know that means that the restaurant owner is going to have to jack up the prices, and that's going to cost some business. But it's certainly going to result in people getting fewer tips, isn't it? Let's talk to Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> Yeah, hi. Thanks for uh, taking hi, my call. Sure. I think, yeah, I think it's a brilliant call because um, uh, income tax, taxable income, would go up because of fifteen dollars per hour versus the two dollars and whatever cents. So everybody would benefit from that. Well, the, okay. Well, th- I, I guess I. I mean, you're 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 saying that the servers don't report their income is what you're, you're saying. Um, I, I guess there's an element of that, except nowadays. Well, nowadays, at least in a lot of restaurants, people pay with credit cards, so it, it, it's it's on there. I mean, it's tougher to hide that. Yeah, I mean, if you're at a place where it, you know somebody throws an extra five dollars on the on the bar, you know, maybe it's tougher for that to get back there. But but again, I think that from the perspective of people in the hospitality industry, the vast majority of them would again, you know. Want to be tipped employees? Hey, let me just go to a couple of uh, my emails here. Uh, bad idea. I put myself through college as a tipped employee. Yes, I worked hard and went to college part time some semesters. I made great money because I was very good at my job. I never could have done it without being a tipped employee. Um, yeah, I think that there's you know you have that element there. Um, Jeff, 
whatever small businesses are left are going to be completely destroyed by this. Jeff, my wife works for a restaurant and she relies on her tips to be able to save money. I also know the owner of a restaurant that she works at and I do understand that they do uh, not have very good margins and it's very difficult for restaurants to stay in business these days. I believe they only make about 17% net. I think if this goes into effect on a $15 minimum wage, it's going to really hurt the restaurant industry across the board as well as the service that rely on these jobs. Yeah, that's kind of, that's how I'm looking at this. Jeff, two of my buddies own their own bar and grill. The servers take these jobs at $2 plus an hour because they know they will make a ton in tips. Otherwise, they would walk away. If you force $15 an hour wages, yes, you will see a bottle of beer shoot way up in price. That'll make you, that'll make a great tipper like me stay home and probably force the businesses to close or make hiring caps. Um, yes, Jeff, I've been a server at three different restaurants over the years. This is a terrible idea for all the reasons you've listed. But additionally, it's a socialist approach. Pay everyone the same wage. Sorry, but as a bust-my-butt, hard-working, personable server, I was proud to get big tips that reflected that. Now the grouchy, lazy, lazy servers get the same as me. Um, no thanks. You know, there you've got um, that. Um, Jeff, though not legal, most people are not claiming their tips on their taxes like they're supposed to. So now by having individuals paid hourly wages, the overall quality of living is going to go down as they will not have enough money in their pocket at the end of the day. Well, you've got that element as well. Um, Jeff, after a nice relaxing meal, why do I always have to do a job performance review and a math quiz? So I think what they're trying to say is that they'd rather just get the bill. Um, okay. Jeff, we should never get rid of the minimum tipped wage. I am someone who very much enjoys getting good service, and I reward it well in my tips. Eliminating the minimum tipped wage removes the incentive of the servers to provide excellent service. Okay, now, if you ever go to Europe, one of the things that differentiates many countries in Europe from the United States is that it, you don't tip. The, the, the cost of the service is built into the meal. Now, it might be... You know, if your bill is six euros, six, six point, you know, seven, five euros, you, you might round up with that extra, you know, point two five, that, ex, that extra quarter. But, but you don't. It, it's built into the costs. And what happens is that, you know, living wages are paid to the waiters and waitresses. Um, and, and that's how they do it in Europe. This would move us, I think, directly in that direction. I'm just saying, I, I think that a lot of people in the service industry, don't want to do it. And I also think, you know, from an unintended consequence perspective, given where we are in this country right now, where we're trying to uh, keep businesses afloat by doing something like that, you, you don't make it easier. On top of that, again, it, it's one of these. It's with a whole minimum wage conversation. It's one of the things of unintended consequences. If you start trying to jack the prices up that you got to pay employees, number one, it's I think in this case with the tips, it hurts the employees. But number two, it, it more and more businesses turn to automation. Okay, maybe instead of servers, maybe what we want to do is we want to figure out ways to have people order at the kiosk and just pick up their food and things like that. Because for three thousand dollars, we can put in a kiosk and, and we don't need to pay people. Period. 
it. it. Be real careful when you go down with these these routes because it might sound good. Oh, we want to guarantee people working in the restaurants that they're going to make a living wage. Well, a lot of them all now are making a living wage. And what's going to happen is if you put in a mandatory minimum, if you put in that minimum wage, you're actually going to hurt them. Just food for thought. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, this is a a consequence. Um, for gosh, I, I forget how long I read the My Pillow ads. So it was probably a year. We I, I, we actually thought that that was going to be a, a few month campaign, and it, it actually turned into a, a long campaign. Um, but I, and I, I by the way, I I love the My Pillow brand pillows. We we have them at, at the house and things like that. But the the CEO of of My Pillow, Mike Lindell, is as he always has been a controversial figure. He's become a much more controversial figure over the course of the last year or so because he's a diehard supporter of President Trump. And he was one of the guys who was at the heart of, you know, a lot of the different conspiracy theories and things that were out there. He became a very, very public face of the stop the steal sort of movement. And what he is now finding is that his public persona, his desire to affiliate himself with President Trump and with some of these causes, it's hurting him. Apparently, a number of retail chains have dropped the the MyPillow brand pillow. Um, Kohl's, he says, has dropped it. Bed Bath & Beyond um, has stopped selling these. And there's a couple others as well. I mean, these big Big retailers that used to sell my pillow are now dropping them, and you know he's gone. Wayfair has decided to drop them as well. He, so he's gone public, and and he's he's saying I'm being discriminated against. I, I'm just too controversial, so they're taking it out on my product. Now, what the retailers are saying is that no, the the reason we're dropping the product is that sales have gone down dramatically. And it's not because it's an inferior product. I mean, like I say, I, I love the MyPillow brand pillow. But it's because Mike Lindell, at least this is what the retailers would say, has become such a hot potato that people aren't buying the MyPillow because he, he it's, associated, it's his company, it's associated with him, and he's associated with President Trump. So the idea is I'm not going to patronize, I'm not going to buy this stuff because I, I don't want to give Mike Lindell, you know, my, my money. So even though these might be the greatest pillows, you know, in the world, I, I'm not going to buy them. And the retailers are saying what we're seeing happen. It's it's not that you know we're dropping him because of his pol- the brand because of his political persuasion. It's that his political persuade his political views, his public persona has moved over and it's kind of influenced the brand and, and now we're not selling as many of these as we wanted and, and you know you, you've seen this happen you've seen you know efforts to like boycott certain products over the course of the last several years those boycott efforts almost never work but in this case it really hasn't been let's boycott my pillow it's been Mike Lindell's been so controversial 
that people are just deciding, okay, we, we're, we're not going to buy the product because that would mean supporting him. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lindell feels that he has been somehow aggrieved. My response would be, this is, this is the logical extension of what happens when companies decide to get political or when, you know, figures associated with these things with companies tend to get political. It's just, it, it's why I think in general, the, the companies themselves, whether on the left or on the right, are better off just maintaining that, that low profile. And I'm not saying that Mike Lindell shouldn't be able to support whoever he wants or make whatever donations he wants or things of the like. What I am saying is that when you decide to embrace a cause, whether it's on the right or whether it's on the left, you have to understand that there is the potential for spillover. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Lindell being treated unfairly, or is this just the logical the logical end of what happens when you decide to not only just support a candidate, but become such a public face of support for a political politi- for a politician or for a cause. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, Tim and Jackson. Hi, Tim. Hi. Okay, what do you think? Okay, so Lindell is complaining that all these retailers are dropping his pillow because of his political position. The retailers are saying, no, his political position is hurting his sales. Who's right? Who's wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, I believe the uh, companies, Kohl's and Bed Bath & Beyond, are on the right. Um, well, for, first of all, Trump's approval rating is in the low 30s right now, and Mike Lindell is, is basically in lockstep with Trump and associated with him. So his, you know, his popularity is not great. And so a lot more people, I believe, are going to go to these stores and shop there because of the moves they made mm-hmm. than there are people that will not go to the stores because they support Trump. And it's just strictly in the approval rating. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that point, Tim. Thanks for the call. I, cause it does work both ways. I, I have a I have a ton of text on this, but I have a text, for example, from one of our listeners in West Bend, Deb, who says, I canceled my Kohl's charge yesterday because they killed the products. They pulled the products. So, I mean, it, it's it's a fl- it, it, it goes both ways here. You know, there's going to be people that respond. And see, in general, businesses are in business to sell their products, to sell their services. And, and this is the problem. And you know, somebody texted me, is this the cancel culture or is it capitalism? And, and my answer is, in this case, it, it is, it's capitalism. Now, the cancel culture is, gee, you know, you said something inappropriate, so, you know, we're going to just try to destroy your reputation. In this case, it, it is capitalism. The, the companies are saying, hey, here, here's what happened. You've become, and I'm using the phrase hot potato, but you've become so volatile, it's starting to spill over into the sales of the product. I have a couple people who texting me who work in retail stores, and they're saying, yeah, the, the sales of the, this product, the MyPillow product in the retail stores over the last several months has started to decline dramatically and it you know stores are there for business tim and appleton tim you're on wtmj thank you for taking my call hi tim for years and years and years i've heard the republican party say let the marketplace work let it work the way it's supposed to this is the marketplace working and that's the way it's supposed to work 
Well, thanks. I mean, it, it is. I mean, and, and again, it cuts both ways. Let me share a couple texts quick. Uh, Jeff, I'll be buying another my pillow. I already have five. I'm doing it just to support him. Jeff, as a businessman who obviously had the chops to build from ground up, he should have inherently realized the ensuing consequences of making his political choices public. Now, again, it, it cuts both ways. A couple years ago, there were there were some people on the left who were upset um, with. Palermo's. It was a supporter of Scott Walker, and there was this effort to try to boycott Palermo's Pizza. I, I, I intentionally went out of my way and bought more Palermo's Pizza, and I think a lot of people responded to that. In this case, it's not so much an organized, it's not so much an organized boycott effort. It's just the, I mean, effect of what ends up you know, happening um, with, with regard to this. Um, and, and when you die that you're going to be a public figure, you have the right to do it, but it's it doesn't necessarily make it the right thing to do. And, and candidly, I, I'm not that sympathetic. Jeff, he should have kept his opinion to himself. Now his business will suffer. I have the pillow. Um, quite frankly, I don't like it. Well, I kind of like our my pillows. But Jeff, I don't believe all the retailers, the sales went down. What timing of them for him to drop his brand? It's political, not sales of the product. Well, if that's the case, it would be dumb for Kohl's and the other places to do that. All right, back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. A lot of people texting about the uh, the, the, the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, who has been a very, very public, very, very public figure, and he he's big supporter of former President Trump as well as other sort of conservative causes and what's happening is that's now spilling over and appears to be uh, affecting the, the business to the point that lots of people are making the decision not to buy my pillows and so some retailers are uh, dropping the brand and then of course we, we heard some text some people have got a number of text people saying we cut up our Kohl's credit card because of what they did this that this it's just one of the dangers when companies or owners of companies become affiliated with political causes and to me I don't know that this is the cancel culture because there's nobody saying oh don't buy my pillow it's just people making that decision to do it it's kind of like capitalism good bad or indifferent all right I want to get your reaction to something that's in the New York Times I I understand, as I was saying earlier today, one of the things we've seen for the last four years is is there, there's cults. There's the cult of Trump haters. And I get texts from some of you. You just hate President Trump. doesn't matter what he could do. He, you hate him. He could do something that if Barack Obama did it, you'd loved it. But because it's Trump, you hate him. And I also understand there's people on the other side who just, it, it doesn't matter. President Trump can do no wrong. During the Obama years, one of the philosophies was no drama. It was no drama Obama. That was one of his missions. He says, look, I, I understand we're going to do stuff that by its nature is controversial, but I, I don't want to go out of my way to to make waves. So we want no drama. We're going to advance our agenda, but we want no drama. President Trump, love him, hate him, was the exact opposite of that. He he operated on, on a chaos theory, whether it was and, – and this is just the way he, he does business. Now, it's not my way of, of managing things, but 
but it, it's the way he, he's operated. You know, he, he wants everybody on edge. He wants everybody afraid that they're going to be fired any minute because he thinks that gets better job performance. He has all these demands. He gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he goes completely and totally off message and sends out tweets. I mean, I've always, I've always felt bad for his chiefs of staff because what happens in politics is you sit down and – and you, you make an agenda. Okay, this this is what we're going to talk about on Tuesday. Tuesday is going to be the day that we talk about, I don't know, um, better health care for veterans. And, and you, you schedule appearances and, and you do this. This is going to be your day. And then if you're like the chief of staff or the communications director for President Trump, you, you come into work thinking, okay, today's the day we're going to talk about health care for veterans. And you find that he was up at 3 o'clock in the morning sending out tweets about something that has nothing to do with that that then throws the, the planned schedule into a complete into complete disarray and now you're talking about this now it, it doesn't make it bad it doesn't make it good it just makes it the way that president trump operated the 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 what i would call the chaos theory the sort of like wreck it ralph this is how we're going to be which was in stark contrast to barack obama it was just different management styles all right regardless of the politics and the policies and the issues i'm ready for a little less chaos let me share a piece that appears in the New York Times, and then I want your reaction. This is just a part of it. Um, quote, he was, this is the headline. He was just everywhere, a tired country after four years of Trump. Some Americans are eager for a break from the constant news produced by President Trump. Others said his term had only inspired them to be more involved in activism. Okay, Dateline Pittsburgh. For four years, David Betris had been unable to escape Donald J. Trump. The president had visited Youngstown, Ohio, the seat of Mr. Betris's home county. So have the president's children. People Mr. Betris have known for years became enthralled to Mr. Trump. There was no getting away on Facebook or Instagram at the local bar. In the last four years, there has there has there been a day when Trump wasn't somewhere in your orbit, said Mr. Betris, the former chairman of the Mahoning County Democratic Party. Every day, I couldn't get him out. He was just everywhere. It was like an omnipresence. For Mr. Betris and many others, this was life in the Trump era. Four years of waking up every morning to a new revelation, an impulsive tweet, a mass protest, a strange new celebrity from the political fringe, an impeachment or two, another thing to argue about and lose friends over. There's no telling when the Trump era will end, but as a purely technical matter, Mr. Trump will no longer be the president as of now. His departure will leave a country that is divided, impassioned, fearful, radicalized, and worn out. It was like a car horn, the guy says, of the perpetual news cycles of the last four years. You're having dinner, you know, and initially the car horn doesn't bother you. But after about an hour, you're looking around. Will somebody shut that car door off? Political conflicts that once simmered stayed on a permanent roiling boil. A greater share of voters showed up at the polls in 2020 than any time over a century following a summer of possibly the largest protest movement in the country's history, etc., etc. And, and it goes on. But... But the point of the story is that this guy, and again, he, he's a Democratic Party activist, but he, he's, he's saying, I, I, I want calm. I, I, I want kind of an end to the chaos. All right, I view things from the other side of the aisle. But you know what? I, I'm ready for less chaos. I'm ready for nor- more normalcy. I'm ready to discuss the issues. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Different management styles between Obama and President Trump. And I'm not necessarily, it's just who they are. They were different sort of people. But you know, that the four years of, you know, the fire alarm going off every day 
um, it, it wears on you, doesn't it? And regardless of whether you're a Trump supporter, whether a Trump lover, or if you're part of that cult of Trump haters, the, the, the constant drama, the chaos, are you ready for some quiet? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I'm not saying the issues go away. And I'm not showing the passion for the issue should go away. It's just, I, I do, I think a lot of us on both sides, where again, a lot of people are just kind of worn out. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Doug on the east side. Doug, you're first. Hello. Yeah, this is a great topic, and I really like the way that you prefaced it. This isn't politics. We're not talking about the positions. But his chaos uh, style of management and just dealing with the presidency was exhausting. I found it totally exhausting. And I also don't think it's very efficient. You just It's just so hard to get things done when you're flipping from one topic to the other. It's almost as if somebody has attention deficit disorder and they can't just focus. Yeah. So, I mean, it's exhausting, and I just don't think it's a very efficient way to manage things. Well, it wouldn't – I would not work well in that environment if I had a, a manager or a boss who was screaming <laughs> – you know, at, at me all the time, and who you know was was constantly it was just a, just a different sort of message. But but that was his management style. But I, I think from the public's perspective, again, love Trump or hate Trump, I, I think everybody's. I mean, I know I, I just I want a little bit less drama. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't want that yeah. fire alarm going off at four in the morning. <laughs> I guess that that's I, I want yeah. a little bit of quiet. Yeah, I- yeah. I would agree. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and nice, no right. matter what. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And, and again, that's 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 sort of the, the, the issue, Re- regardless of how you feel about the issues. What was different with President Trump's management style from the management style pretty much of the last several presidents, certainly Obama, I think President Bush was very understated. Um, Bill Clinton, I think, was understated. Bush, Reagan. I mean, they, they, these are people who – it was a – it was a different presidency than I think any presidency that we've seen, certainly in, in my lifetime, or maybe you got to go back to Richard Nixon for that. And, and even Nixon's management style, at least publicly, was, was, was different, maybe privately. It was similar to this. But it was just and, – and it worked for Trump. I mean, he got elected president of the United States, and he had a lot of successes. So it's not so much that. But I do – I found it to be fatiguing. Joe and Jackson. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I think that um, I think that there are so many more people that are relieved that this is over uh, than I think any aspect of the media is really talking about. Um, you know, whether it's it's the talk shows on the radio or the news, it really seems like everybody's focusing in on, like you call them, the Trump haters or the Trump lovers. And I really don't think that either one of those two categories of people really uh, make up the the a very large portion of the overall voting population. I think that a good 80%, 85% of the voting population is just in this mode where we got to select the, the lesser two evils in our minds. And, um, you know, so that same 85% is, you know, kind of applauding at this all being over. Right, because, because uh, they're, they're fatigued. It's it's the chaos that, that kind of, that, that just, it wears people down. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, you know, I'll say this much. I think if, if anything... The Trump presidency really highlighted the need, in my mind, for a third party. Because there are too many, this whole thing about the lesser of two evils, it's old. It's getting old. And, you you know, you can kind of over-summarize the whole thing as, as being the Democrats being for the poor, the, the Republicans being for the rich or whatever. And But, I mean, who's who's for the middle class? And, and I think that's the fatigue. The well, people I, but- in the middle class who just want... 
who yeah. just want to exist in a normal state. Well, Joe, I, I understand what you're saying, but my, my my guess is if you had a third a viable third party in, in this country, the conversation we would be having now is, well, we just had to choose between the lesser of three evils. <laughs> Let's talk to, to Jeff on the south side. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I, I'm ready for some peace. I'm ready for, to to move on. But I don't think that is going to happen. The, the, the true enemy here, the true problem, is social media. Mm-hmm. Social media is the cancer in our society. Trump is just the tumor that arose from that cancer. Mm-hmm. And there is going, there are going to be new tumors that are going to pop up tomorrow. There are, this is not, this is our society. This is what we have become. We had the, we, we had the, I would say the, the president with the least presidential demeanor ever. And we do have a president now that is, that does, that does have a much, a much calmer demeanor. More low key. Yep. Yes. But someone else is just going to be sounding that alarm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, no, I, no, I get no. Thanks for calling, Joe. And I don't disagree. And I actually, and, and you know, you talk about social media. I would extend that. I mean, I, and I think the 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 mainstream media certainly took the the chaos that President Trump, you know, his, his sort of like what I'm calling the the chaos, the the, the wreck it Ralph sort of approach, and, and they amplified it. And the mainstream media amplified it because there was money to be made. The, the New York Times and the Washington Post and a lot of the mainstream networks on the left end, the, and I guess Fox to an extent too, they recognized that there was money to be made by getting people riled up. It, it's you know it, it's how you increase your digital subscriptions. So I mean, the New York Times, if, if you would go back and you would look at the stories that they wrote over the last four years. Almost everything was negative of Trump. And, and again, it, if even if they did something that Trump, that the reporters would agree with, you wrote it with a negative spin. So they amplified the chaos. And, and what that did is then it just it magnified President Trump. And then he ended up, you know, just ratcheting up his behavior and the media ratcheted up. So there, there's a lot there's a lot of fault to go around. But but there's no question. I think all of us are ready for, I, I think, a, a break and and that's not regarding the policy. Now, I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the media, because now that they don't have to borrow the phrase from Nixon, now that they don't have Trump to kick around, you know, what what what's going to happen to the, the places like The New York Times and The Washington Post and MSNBC and the CNNs that have gotten eyeballs and revenue and, and viewers and subscribers because this was the place you could go to if you wanted the, the anti-Trump stuff. Now that that's gone, that creates a void in their customer base, and they're going to figure out a way to fill that up. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My producer just suddenly told me that my, my time management skills today have not been the best. Because <laughs> we're taking these status reports, so I'm kind of on a clock. Um, a number of texts about this. Jeff, Vince Lombardi coached in the same manner as President Trump served. The same style for both uh, Lombardi, who won five championships. Trump completed a lot of great things for the USA. Well, I, and it's, there's a difference between being the President of the United States and, and being Vince Lombardi coaching in, in the 1960s. Um, and I'm just, all I'm saying is I think it just wears it down. Jeff, we're all exhausted, but do you think the media is partly to blame because their coverage because of their disgust with Trump? Oh, absolutely. There, there, there's no question about it. The the, the media, I, and I said this early on in the Trump administration, I, I watched this documentary that I, I think Showtime did at the New York Times. They loathed Donald Trump 
they loathed him, and, and that that's and, and the, that's why you you spent four. Plus, then they figured out that you could make money by by loathing him because there were other people that loathed him that would subscribe to your paper and read it because they wanted to have their view reinforced. So so yeah, I mean no, I think the media. I think the media blame has a lot of blame to that. But, um, you know, the, the bottom line is that President Trump played into all that. And again, it just got exhausting. Uh, Jeff, first of all, I don't like Trump, but was there more drama because of the news cycle and three years of forcing an impeachment on fake grounds? I found that to be exhausting. Yeah, the, the whole thing, Jeff, I'm a conservative. Unfortunately, I agree with the words you've read. It's been a long, exhausting four years. Trump's legacy will have the reality of loud, toxic, and multiple firings. I'm not a huge Biden fan, but I am ready for arrest. number of people are texting me saying, you know, we worked for... We worked for managers that were like President Trump, and it just kind of wore you down. Jeff, Trump fatigue definitely exists. If you're a Republican, you're now in a win-win situation. If the Biden administration does something you like, we all win. If the Biden administration does something you hate, you can criticize him and hold out for 2024. Yeah, I think that there's... There is an, an element of that. Jeff, Trump's style of chaos was different than any other president. Um, I found it to be unpresidential. Well, it's just, it, it's different, but it it just, it was that constant drama. Jeff, the constant drama was caused by the Democrats not letting anything go. Democrats wouldn't let anything go, and President Trump couldn't let anything go, and the bottom line was, I think a lot of people are worn out. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. <laughs> One of my New Year's resolutions is to try to consume less social media because, as a general rule, I, I find it just makes me dumber. You know, you can just you're reading some of the stuff that people put out there, and you're going, "Huh, feel my IQ dropping as I read this." But there was one funny thing: the apparently it is it is tradition for one president to leave a note for uh, to, to write like a little note and, and leave it for another president and in this case of course there was nothing traditional about the departure of president trump for the first time in like a hundred some years made a decision not to uh, attend the inauguration i do want to talk about that and um after in the two o'clock hour of the program but but it is tradition to write a, a note and you leave it and these notes are historically they're they're just they're like private and apparently the story is that the president trump even though he wasn't, didn't go to the inauguration, and even though he he's never really acknowledged the legitimacy of the Biden victory, apparently um, he did leave a letter for um, for President Biden, um, and so the 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 contents of the letter again historically it's kept private. I, I was there was somebody on, on Twitter that was kind of funny and said, "What what if?" What if the, the, the letter consisted of only like two words and the second one was you, you know, with like blank you? And I, I have to admit that I kind of chuckled and I thought, well, under normal circumstances, that would not be something that was possible. But you could you could perhaps see that as being the case. Don't know. All right. Let us switch gears. Something completely and totally different. The Green Bay Packers have the inside track to go back to the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. They play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in snowy Lambeau Field on Sunday. The weather forecast, temperature in the low 20s, snow will have been falling for, they say snow is, it's kind of iffy right now, but, but snow is supposed to start Saturday night. They're not predicting a blizzard or anything, but it's it's going to be, 
you know, typical January weather, you know, in the 20s, you know, it's going to be cold, you know, it's going to be snowy, it's going to be, it's going to be what you expect Lambeau Field in January to be. And it's one of the reasons that you have the Packers play all year for the home field advantage. Now, because of COVID, you it, Lambeau Field will not be packed. There will not be seventy-five or eighty thousand people there. There will be a lot less. Now there were at last Sunday's game there were eighty-four hundred people. Now I, I was out of town, but I, I watched the game on TV. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, I don't know if television enhanced the, the crowd noise or not, but it, it sounded loud. I mean, those eighty-four hundred people in Lambeau Field were making a ton of noise. The same thing is true this Sunday. What they're going to do is the Packers allowed 6,500 season ticket holders who had opted in at the beginning of the year. At, at, or in the beginning of the year, season ticket holders um, were given an option. Hey, you can opt in for this year in case there's games, or if you want, you can opt out and um, you, know, you, you, you're, you keep your seats until next year. So a bunch of season ticket holders opted in. So they have decided for the championship game that they are going to sell. They were going to sell 6,500 seats to season ticket holders. And then um, what they're going to do is they're going to, the, the crowd will be larger because they're going to have some invited guests. So I think last week they had about 8,500. But 6,500 tickets went on sale at 10 o'clock today. Now, last week when they did the same thing, the game sold out in 27 minutes. I am being told that the game um, sold out quicker than that today. Um, prices, 215 bucks in the end zone, $280 between the 20-yard line. Tickets are sold in pods of two, four, and six. Purchases are limited to one pod per season ticket account. Tickets distributed electronically and cannot be resold or transferred. Okay, so I'm told it was a feeding frenzy. Tickets not available to Packer Ticket Office, only via Ticketmaster. Tickets went quick. I have heard from at least a half dozen people who tried to purchase tickets who were unable to, to do so and are expressing their frustration that they weren't able to get in. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not sure that the Packers could have done it anyway and in any different fashion. I mean, you have an incredibly, a Packers game to begin with is an incredibly hard to get in demand ticket. Packers NFC championship game, I mean, take that, that, that demand and then ratchet it up tenfold, even in a cold, snowy Lambeau field. Plus, then you add a, a limit. Okay, we're only going to have 6,500 tickets that we sell, which means that, you know, if, if normally we could sell 600,000, um, we're, we're down to 6,500. 6, and how, it, would there have been a fairer way to distribute these? Now, some people are suggesting that, Jeff, what they should have done is gone on seniority. The people who had the tickets the longest should have gotten the priority. So if you've been a season ticket holder for 50 years, well, you, you should get it ahead of the person that's been the season ticket holder for 15 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Could the Packers have done this differently? Would it have been better? Would it have been fairer? Candidly, 
this is one of those deals where it's it's supply and demand. There's such a limited supply. There's such high demand. I don't think they could have done anything differently. And one way or the other, you'd have a lot of disappointed Packers fans. 855-616-1620. And if you tried to get them and couldn't, how frustrated are you? Or do you understand it's just kind of the reality? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, can we please get a true number of how many fans at these games? Numbers have between six thousand to ninety eight hundred. What is the number? Well, I don't know exactly what the number is. I wasn't there, but the Packers were saying. Uh, Last week, by the time they had the the freebies that ended up coming in, you had in the neighborhood of like 8,500 people or so. Because in addition to the season ticket holders, they, they family members and team personnel and first responders and things like that. But the, the bottom line is people were coming in. Look, the thing is you're, you're not going to make anybody everybody happy. That's the thing. Jeff, they should double, triple, or even quadruple the amount of fans allowed at Lambeau this weekend. We need Lambeau crazy and loud to defeat Brady and the Bucks. Go, Pack, go. Now, I, I think that does raise one of these sort of larger issues that's there, which is, does it make sense? Is there any reason nowadays to limit the number of people that can attend this outdoor event in January to to 6,000 or to 8,000 or to 9,000. Now, I started the program off by talking about, I I was on a plane, flew down, flew to Florida on Saturday, came back yesterday. The the planes, pretty much full, including the middle seats. The airports, um, at least the airport where I flew into in Florida, just jammed. I told the story at the beginning of the program as I was leaving the 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 gates, gate B, you know, the gate B, and I, I, as I was walking out on Saturday looking at the TSA thing, at least 100 people lined up for the TSA pre-check, probably 250 people in line for that. So people are, are start, whether it's COVID fatigue or whether it's people getting vaccinated or whether it's people who've had it or, or whatever. I mean, you, you had these people cramming onto airplanes. I could argue that, gee, the, the chances of getting COVID are a lot less um, if you would allow 20,000 people, you know, at Lambeau Field, then, you know, sitting on, on these airplanes. I mean, you have the mask rules, you have all that in place. But in, regardless, the NFL has decided that this is how they're going to do it. The Packers have decided this is how they're going to do it. Could, could they have done it in a more fair way? Bob and Nina. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think the issue was more with Ticketmaster than Green Bay. Uh, I tried to get tickets both for last week's ends game and this coming one. And I don't know if you've got the procedure. You log in and you're in the lobby, and then 10 minutes before you click a box going into the waiting room, <laughs> and then right at 10 o'clock you're in the queue. <laughs> and I was sitting there with a mouse in hand, and when the box came up to get into the waiting room, I hit it probably within a second, maybe two at the most, and there were already 2,000 people ahead of me, Right, more than 2,000. Right. A friend of mine that I know, he got tickets last weekend, and I messaged him to get tickets. He clicked that within the first minute, yet he got tickets. So I'm not sure how he was right or a little over 1,800 ahead of him. Right. So I don't know how he came in later than me, yet was farther ahead in the line. 
Yeah, which, which is always and one again, of those. I'll blame Ticketmaster. Yeah, well, it's always one of these mysteries about how that stuff works. You know, whether it's you're trying to get yeah. concert tickets or or whatever. Tell tell me this: were you were you at all hesitant about wanting to go and sit out in January in the snow in Lambeau, or doesn't that have any? You, would you have loved to have no, gone if you got the tickets? Not. Yeah, I've been there colder games than this weekend's going to be, so it it was. No, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. Got it. No, thanks. Again, it, it just – and there's the, – the problem is there, there's no way that you can set something like this up to make everybody happy. And I I guess I seniority would have been one thing, but at the same time, then you'd argue that that's not fair to the people who've that, – that's not fair to the people who've, you know, been season ticket holders for 10 years if the people who've been season ticket holder for 40 years, you know, come come under – you know, again, get get that preference. Bottom line is – um, the, the sooner we get through this pandemic, the, the better it's going to be for everybody. Hey, while I was gone, I saw the story related to that. The um, the Stadium View Bar, here's the headline, the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Stadium View Bar comes under fire for hosting large Packers watch party during the pandemic. Stadium View Bar and Grill, which is the, the, the big bar that's right in the shadow of Lambeau Field, was heavily criticized as irresponsible in social media after videos and photos from inside the business showed a crowd of maskless Packers fans celebrating the team's playoff victory. Here's the one thing about social media, and it's allowed us all to become scolds. And so, you know, oh, just look at the, what these people are doing. They're, they're, they're being, you know, terrible. I mean, the Ashwabanon police captain said the police didn't get any complaints about the lack of masks and the social distancing at, at the party. Um, they said, look, you know, no, nobody was calling us to complain. So, I mean, I guess it, it's sort of like this. And maybe this can all be our, our resolution for you know, 2021. If you see something that you don't like, that person's not wearing a mask. This person isn't that. Instead of like taking to social media to do the tisk tisk tisk, if you if you really care about it enough, maybe what you should be doing is I don't know, contacting the people that are responsible for enforcing these particular rules and, and voicing that concern as opposed to, oh, this is terrible, or oh, that person was terrible, or that person was terrible. Look, I, I know that if you took, for example, a picture of the people that were standing in line at the airport waiting to get on TSA, waiting to go through TSA to, to get, you know, onto flying wherever they were flying that I was looking at on Saturday, I know that there would be people saying, oh, this is terrible. There's all these people that are in line there. Well, okay, if, if instead of just complaining about it, if you really feel that strongly about it and you think that they're violating rules or whatever, well, then, you know, alert the people that are responsible for enforcing the thing. Otherwise, I don't know, just kind of maybe resist that urge to go on social media and blast away. Just saying. And this is Jeff Wagner. It's interesting. We just had a commercial for Harry's there. I, okay, in Florida, I, I used a Harry's razor for the first time. You know, I I, I saw them. They had a whole big thing, and I, I, I used some, and it was great. I actually, I, I thought I might buy some myself. They were really, really, it was good. I was, I was shocked. It was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a good shave. So, and then I hear the advertisements. Didn't even know that they were an advertiser. All right, this, this is one of these stories, and I, I admit it makes my head want to explode. The, the pharmacist up at the Aurora in Grafton's name is Stephen uh, Brandenburg. This is the guy 
who has convinced himself that the vaccine that we're giving for for COVID, he believes that it's not safe. And so he's the guy that took it upon himself to destroy vaccine. And on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, he left out 57 vials of vaccine. And his idea was to his intention was to spoil it. Um, so that the people who got the vaccine would be getting ineffective vaccine because he believed it would hurt him. Okay, so what what happened is they they they, they fired him. He's lost his pharmacy license. But there, there's an issue with the charges because even though this stu- his intention was to destroy him, and even though he left them out for longer than they were supposed to be left out of, of the refrigerator, now they're they're saying well. It, they, they still might be effective. And I guess th- this is the type of story, and I understand the technical legal issue here, but this is one of these stories that, again, makes my head want to explode from a, a justice perspective. I mean, let, let's look at this. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy that gets gets the vaccine that some character ha- has intended to ruin and left it out longer than the recommendations are. Now, now the, the company that makes the vaccine is saying, well, you know, now we think that maybe you can leave it out up to 12 hours. The first time it was left out up to three hours. The second time it was left about nine hours before a technician found them and returned them. So his intent was to destroy the stuff. His intent was to destroy the stuff. The things were left out longer than the recommendation was, I mean, you're not supposed to leave this stuff sitting around at room temperature for hours and hours. But now, because it's possible that even though his intent was to ruin him, and even though he, he proceeded to do that, it, it might be that the stuff still works. That might limit his criminal exposure. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just, that is crazy to me. And so now, they're, apparently, they're, they're testing the vaccine that was left to determine, well, if we use this, would it still work? Well, okay, as a practical matter, that hospital's not going to use that vaccine. Uh, uh, as a practical matter, that vaccine has been destroyed because of what this yo-yo did. And, and the idea that you might be able to skate out of more significant consequences simply because, well, you you somebody else found it and put the stuff back – or because now upon second thought, well, maybe even though we said it wasn't supposed to be out that long, maybe you can leave it out that long. His intention was to destroy the stuff. He effectively did it because as a practical matter, I'm sure that hospitals, I'm sure that hospitals not going to use stuff that was left out with the intent to be destroyed. Seems to me he should be accountable. And I know right now they've issued misdemeanor charges against him. I know the DA in Ozaki County is trying to figure out, you know, ways that maybe ratchet up the charges to represent something that would be obviously more appropriate than what the guy tried to do. Whether they'll be able to do that, I I don't know. I know that. But again, it's just like, well, technically, maybe he hadn't destroyed it. I'm sorry, I don't want to be the person getting the vaccine that some pharmacist has left out on the counter and sat unattended for hours with the intention of trying to destroy it. I don't want that vaccine. Give me one of some of the stuff that hasn't been left out. That's just me. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about some aspects of the inauguration today. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is a weird story, but I could see what could happen. Gru, producing the show today and always. Did you see the story about the guy who was living in O'Hare Airport for three months? 
Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, okay, so, I, all right, so about well, 15 years ago or so, there was a Tom Hanks movie called The Terminal, and and it was about the long story short, Tom Hanks played uh, played the role of a guy from some Eastern European country, and, and what happens is he, he gets to a JFK Airport. And what's happened is his passport is no longer valid because the country he came from um, is no longer recognized as an independent country because of a civil war. Bottom line is he, he can't get into can't get into the U.S. His passport's no good and he can't leave. So he, he lives, according to the movie, I mean, he lives in the, the airport for a, a number of, of months. And it's it's kind of based on, on a true story about somebody that apparently like like stayed stayed in the, the 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 airport in Paris the de Gaulle airport for for like 18 years it, it's sort of based on that but I, I, I was thinking of the story because if you haven't seen it there and, and it's kind of scary when we think about airport security but there's this guy and, and this just recently happened um he he flies into O'Hare and so he, he's in O'Hare and you know he he gets into the the not the secure areas he he's in he, he's in the airport proper um like the food courts and stuff like that and apparently his story is that he's afraid to fly because of of covid and so what happens is from october um he's supposed to be going back to india so from october 19th through january he he doesn't get on his flight and and he just lives in in the airport and nobody stops him nobody catches him he apparently either stole or found some airport worker's id badge and so he's wearing this thing and he's he's just he, he's there he, he's living there and i was thinking how could you do this and now everybody's freaked out of course legitimately so about all the security stuff and i was you know i bet you that happens more than you might think i was um as i said I, on saturday i'm coming back from Fort Myers. So I got, on oh, Tuesday, yesterday, I'm coming back from Fort Myers. I get dropped off. Uh, my wife had some errands to run, so she drops me off a little bit earlier than I would normally be there. So I got some time to kill. So I I, I go through security. I, I get to the terminal. And like I said, there's a ton of people that are there. I'm even in, like, one of the security areas. And at the gate that I'm our flight is leaving from, well, there, there's another flight that, that's there. So there's no room to sit at that gate. you got to wait till that flight leaves, and then all the Milwaukee passengers go to that gate. So I'm just kind of wandering around. I stopped at the airport Burger King. First time I've had a Burger King in 25 years. My reaction grew. You want to know what my first – so I had a Whopper for the first time in, like, 25 years. It'll probably be 25 years before I have another Whopper. It's just, you know, but, I, but I, I'm looking for a place to eat. So I, I find this, this, this gate that looks like it's half under construction or something. I just kind of sit down, and I'm, I'm, I'm eating my sandwich and things like that. And then, but I was thinking, you know, I, I bet you these, these busy airports that, that fly not Mitchell, it probably wouldn't happen because, you, you, I mean, Mitchell, after a certain period of time, there, there's not that many departures and there's not that many arrivals. But you find some busy airport like in O'Hare where it, it's like 24-7. I could see how somebody could, you know, wander around, especially if you've got this badge or something. I could see how somebody could live there for a while. What's funny to me with this story is this guy 
Uh, having a fear of COVID, I completely understand, especially in the early days and flying and everything. But you're in the airport, you're there for like a day, and you're like, okay, I can't, I can't really stay here, can oh. I? And then a couple days later, you're like, you know what? Maybe I can. And then eventually, the psyche of that guy, the the the, the switch is flipped. He's like. I can live here. Well, right, ex- exactly. You know, you probably you go and you you bathe in the airport, you know, things and stuff, and you've got your. I mean, I, I there's all sorts of questions you have about it, but yeah, I mean, October through January. So I mean, you're you're talking about two and a half months, and and I, again, I don't think you could do something like that at Mitchell because it's just it's not that busy. But you find you find an O'Hare, or you find like the the Orly Airport in, in Paris, or you know the Orlando Airport. You know, I mean, in, in Orlando, as people know, if you've gone down to to visit the Mouse, I mean, they got a hotel that that's right in the the airport proper. So I mean, I, I assume that there's people going and coming from that all the time. Now, at some point in time, maybe somebody somebody notices you, but he got away with it for months. But I was. I was kind of sitting there looking around thinking, huh, I wonder wonder if you, I'll bet you you could do this. Not not that I'm encouraging, not that I'm thinking about doing it, trust me. But I was just kind of thinking, I can maybe understand how this guy could pull it off. All right, let's talk about the inauguration today. One of the things that distinguished today's inauguration from, well, you got to go back over 100 years, is the fact that President Trump chose not to be there. I was watching this morning on Good Morning America. You, you saw Air Force One that landed at, at the Marine One, the helicopter that landed on the White House steps. President and his wife walked out. They got into the helicopter. They choppered over to the Air Force Base. And then he made some remarks, got on Air Force One and, and headed south to Florida, skipping the inauguration. Our number Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. This it, it really it was it's the final act of, of President Trump at least as president. Now look, I, I have no delusions over the fact that, you know, that there's going to be all sorts of things. You're going to have the impeachment and you're going to ha- have people that are that Trump derangement syndrome is not going to go away. I, I understand that. Whether it's good for the country or not, it, it's not going to go away, at, at least in the near future. And maybe President Trump, maybe I'm wrong, and President Trump remains a, a viable political force. I, I don't see that either, but I mean, time will tell on that. But his last official act was blowing town before the inauguration, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I think he should have gone. I, I think he should have, I, and I, I'm not necessarily surprised that he didn't, but I, I think he should have swallowed his pride. I think he should have recognized that even though he has a, been a non-traditional president, even though he has all these different grievances there, at some point in time, the tradition, the circumstance is is more important than you. And I thought it showed a lack of grace that you did not extend to President Biden the same consideration that President Obama extended to him. I mean, the tradition is you invite the president, if you're the sitting president, you invite the president-elect over to the White House you have coffee, you make small talk, and then you all go over to the inauguration, and, and then the former president leaves. I thought, and again, and I understand we have trouble talking about President Trump without, uh, again, bringing out the, the, the cult of Trump haters, 
who I, I hear from on a regular basis, and the, the cult of Trump loyalists and lovers. But I think regardless of where you come down in that spectrum, I, I thought it showed a lack of grace. And even with all the other stuff that would happen, was I surprised that he chose to skip the inauguration? No. Do I think it was the wrong move? Yes. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. I get that. But there is a degree of symbolism to this, and I think it's very disappointing that President Trump couldn't put his personal grievances aside for a couple hours to do what his predecessor had done and what what Obama's predecessor had done and what President Bush's predecessor had done. I think he should have showed up. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So you want to be a talk radio host? Okay, so we started off the program, and it's, look, I want to talk about policy, and it's one thing I'm looking forward to. So we, we spent the first segment of the program discussing the Biden proposal to eliminate the tipped minimum wage, which I think is a stunningly bad idea. I get a handful of emails. I get a ton of texts, but it's including, you're such a loser. How dare you criticize Joe Biden? You know, give him a break. I don't even, how dare you talk about these issues? And to which it's like, well, okay, just because he's the president doesn't mean that I think everybody has to just roll over and, you know, um, you know, scratch his belly and say, okay, anything you want is a good idea. We're talking about policy. So now I'm saying that I think Trump should have gone to the inauguration. Here's the first text I get. When will you get off your never Trumper platform and start attacking all the proposals coming from Biden and the left that are going to destroy this country? <laughs> Is it this welcome to my world where, you know, you, you try to have a rational discussion about stuff. Here, this this evil never Trumper. How dare you or how dare you criticize Joe? My bottom line is about this is that I, I think the president should have gone to the inauguration. I think it was it demonstrated a lack of grace that 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 he didn't go. And and I, I don't think. I, I think that I think he's hurt his legacy by a lot of stuff that's happened since the election. I think he's he's done permanent damage to his legacy. I think it could have been so completely different on so many different levels. And the last the last thing is not showing up at the inauguration. Let's talk to Kurt in Green Bay. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, go pack go. Go pack go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, well, that's Sunday's conversation. What do you think about uh, the president not showing up at uh, Joe Biden's inauguration? Well, first of all, Jeff, I want to let you know I'm a, a, a conservative leaning voter. I voted for Trump in both elections. And this was the final nail in the coffin, the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever you want to call it. I am officially out of the Trump uh, uh, camp. Uh, this is we are all Americans, no matter what. And one thing the ex-president or the the departing president does is swears in the new president. No matter whether you think the election was fair, I mean, I believe all those. I believe some of those conspiracy theories. I believe there. Yes, there was a certain amount of fraud, but Biden's the president now. And yes, he, uh, President Trump, showed a complete lack of grace. And I am officially out of the Trump camp. Yeah. So thank you, Jeff. No, thanks for call, Kurt. I, and you're right. Go pack, go. I just, it was again a, a lack of of grace, maybe a lack of class. If if that, it's just look. I I and I understand. You know, he's bitter over losing the election. He doesn't think he lost the election. I, I understand all that, but it, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Let look. Let's face it. You know 
darn well that it killed Barack and Michelle Obama to host Donald Trump and Melania Trump, or at least Donald Trump. You know, it killed them to, to do that. I mean, they were Hillary Clinton supporters all the way. They, you know, in his heart of hearts, Barack Obama thought that Donald Trump was unfit to be the president. You just know that. But yet they, they had him over. You know, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure there was this kind of, you know, tense moment was, was there. But but they showed up, you know, Bush Gore 2000. All right. So, you know, Inauguration Day rolls around Al Gore, who I, I think, you know, many people and I'm sure Al Gore thinks that thinks that that election was, quote unquote, stolen from him because of Florida. He, he's there. Bill Clinton's there. They they it's just it is something that you end up, you know, doing. I mean, the first President Bush who lost the election to, it wasn't like he was leaving, he, he lost his bid for re-election to Bill Clinton. They, Barbara Bush and, you know, George Bush, they, they, they had the, the Clintons over. It's just, there, there's a time when you have these traditions. And look, and by the way, I understand it doesn't change anything. I mean, I, I understand Joe Biden is now the president, Donald Trump's, you know, flying off to Mar-a-Lago. I, I understand that at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. But but there is a value to traditions, and I think it's unfortunate that he made the decision that he could not show up. I think, candidly, I think it diminished him more than it diminished Joe Biden, because the inauguration went on. Kathy, um, you're on WTMJ. Hello. It's courtesy and tradition. And I had voted for Trump. But this, as the previous caller said, was my last straw. And all I have to say is shame on him. Yeah, it just it would have been so easy. You know, I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, it just it, it would have been so easy and just, you know, to kind of sit there. And I, I understand he doesn't believe that the election was legitimate or things like that. But you're right. It is it is part of the tradition, the orderly transfer of power. And it's not required under the law, but it would have been a classy thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm from tradition. I'm, I'm from a family of nine. And we have tradition. Right. And that's what you do. Right. And I'm sorry that he was a, a, a spoiled sport. Well, it does really give you the impression. He didn't get his way. Yeah, it gives you the, it does, it gives you the kind of that sore loser sort of impression. So you're from a family of nine, Kathy. So the, the tradition is, all the kids gather for Thanksgiving dinner. Well, okay, may- maybe one of your younger brothers you just despise. You can't stand him, but you're not not inviting him. You know, it's like, okay, he- he's coming, and i got to be That's sociable exactly to crazy right. Uncle Lou. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. We come from, from, I'm the baby, and my oldest is old enough to be my mother. Right. We've gone back and forth with a lot of things. Right. But we still get together. We still have tradition. Right. No, thanks. Um, I, right. No, it's and important. This is our history of our country. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I, it, that's, I guess that that was sort of my reaction to this. Again, I, I'm not sort of surprised, but even even after all the stuff that happened at the Capitol two weeks ago, I, I think I, I was hoping that the president did did show up and, and, and go through all this. And we had a more traditional transfer of power. And I understand that there's nothing traditional about this inauguration and I understand all the COVID and stuff. But I, I mean Mike Pence Mike Pence gained points. I, I think Mike Pence raised himself in stature. I don't know what Mike Pence's political future is, if he has a political future. I don't know about that. But but he he showed up. He performed what I consider to be sort of the, the last 
act that you perform as is the sitting vice president and then he moved on sue in cedarburg sue you're on wtmj yes hi hi sue i think he should he should have gone i'm voted for him both times and but i just think it showed it it shows respect for the office when he would go and i thought maybe he could go and be the bigger man and and prove that he is you know, a, a good, he was a good president and he respects the, the role of the president. And I don't know, were people telling him not to go or not to show up? That's the kind of rumor I've been uh, hearing. I don't, I don't know. No, so th- thanks. I don't, I don't think, I, I think one thing we've learned about President Trump, Donald Trump, after four years is that I don't, I don't think, I think he marches to his own drummer. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there, there's too many people that that he listens to. And my guess is most of the people would have told him just just you know show up and, and go. And again, I, I understand the dynamic isn't different. It doesn't change things. But I I think a lot of stuff that's happened since the election has really hurt his legacy. Jeff, I agree with you. I voted for Trump both times. I told my husband this morning. I, I get that he's upset. My gosh, so show some grace. Get over it. I think he looks like a big cry baby. Jeff, um, I voted for Trump both times, put up with his antics because of judge picks in the economy. I have to say in the last month, he really showed, um, uh, he really showed, um, pardon the expression, no class. And, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot about that. And again, um, you know, people are saying, well, you know, Biden didn't want him there anyways. Well, that might be true. But um, it, it, there is there is a tradition that you follow, and I just I think it's unfortunate that President Trump chose to go out the way he did. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around.